everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Deanna, and this is the Deadwire ABS podcast. For those of you joining us for the first time, this is our fourth episode exploring the various corners of asset-based lending and investing. Today, we will be discussing a topic that touches many aspects of lending and debt in general, consumer credit. I'm joined by my colleague, Larissa Patton, our in-house expert of esoteric asset classes and subprime auto. Hi, Larissa. Hi, Deanna. We'll also have Matt Comos and Kristen Battalion from TransUnion here, who will help us uh, make sense of the latest trends in consumer health. And to kick this off, TransUnion recently came out with a study, which by some might be viewed somewhat controversial at first glance. The study found that in some cases, both lenders and consumers can benefit when additional loans are extended to delinquent customers. Could you help us unwrap that a little? Sure. Hello. Um, so. Right now, what I'm talking about today is around uh, research we recently did in anticipation of a uh, conference I'll be speaking at on this topic next week. What we did was we asked the question, what if? What if we provided consumers that were currently delinquent, past due on some of their current debts, what if we provided them an additional loan? This is pretty unconventional because most lenders do not want to necessarily lend to somebody that is currently not up to date with them, right? So if I, if I owed you $1,000, which I was supposed to pay on last week, and then I came back and said, hey, can I take another $200? You would say, what, where's my $1,000, right? <laughs> so lenders, kind of the same, same thought. But what we found in this study is that if you did that scenario, if you gave me the additional $200, a third of consumers would actually improve on that outstanding debt, meaning the loan that they hadn't paid up on would become current again. Now, the interesting fact is that the majority of those will also perform well a year out on the new loan. So what I'm saying is, if you take delinquent borrowers, a quarter of them, nearly a quarter, are going to not only perform well on a new loan that you give them, but they will become current on at least one or more of their existing delinquencies as well. And this is really unconventional and very interesting because, again, it does not follow conventional conventional wisdom. Lenders are not usually jumping to go give money to somebody that currently isn't up to date on their payments. Are we speaking about any specific kind of delinquencies, like 30, 60, 90? Did you choose a specific target? Yes. So we looked at people that were had... Um, we, they were up to 119 days past due. Put another way, these consumers had missed up to three payments. We looked at them, and again, our research didn't say you should give a loan to all borrowers that are delinquent, but there are some borrowers that are up to three payments late that if you did give them some additional liquidity, and we did this in the terms of an unsecured personal loan, would perform well on, on that loan. It really is a different way for lenders to approach consumers that might be struggling with current debt. Um, one of the themes of some of our recent research is to, you know, can we help lenders redefine themselves and think differently in kind of what we consider a consumer first era, where consumers now have more power than ever with regard to how they approach loans, you know, um, how they interact with lenders in an online environment. All of those play a part, and, and we wanted to take a look at, you know, can lenders rethink the way they approach consumers? And this is one way in which we were able to do so. And just to help kind of unwrap this a little more, when we're talking about delinquent customers that missed one night, three payments in a row, 
are these customers already non-prime at this point when we're looking at them? Are they considered subprime? Like, where are they in this FICO band? Well, I would say it's probably more common mm-hmm. when you're talking about your non-prime, your subprime, or your near-prime consumer. We're dealing with a scenario where you have a consumer that is past due and it is likely due to a situation that had caused them to struggle. So perhaps they've had an accident and they're having to do some car repairs. Perhaps somebody got sick and they have some unexpected medical debt, right? These borrowers didn't just miss the payment because they forgot about it. They actually have an acute situation for which it's like a hurdle that they're trying to get over, right? And so this is a win-win situation for both borrowers and lenders in that a lender can help them get over that hurdle and allow them to come back current on their existing debt, as well as perform well on the new loan in the future. So you're actually building a stronger relationship between that lender and the borrower. So this is not a practice that applies to every single borrower, but there are situations where this could actually help them get over that hurdle and be in a really positive situation in the future. And kind of jumping off of the win-win idea for both borrowers and lenders, what really prompted the study? Were you seeing an uptick from the lender side kind of exploring this target a little more or were there more borrowers that are going through hard times trying to find a loan and not being able to find them or being able to find them? Like kind of what prompted this whole thing? So part of the big driver was as how Matt mentioned, we are trying to look at some of the most common beliefs in a little bit of a different way. So one of the foundational tenants in lending is don't throw good money after bad, right? If somebody is not um, likely going to be able to provide money, don't stack more debt on top of them. Um, So that was really what drove it. But I think what is important to understand as far as what's going on in the economy today is while we are seeing good levels of borrower performance on loans, what happens with one's borrower is a critical situation for that borrower. And from a lender perspective, you have a delinquent borrower. If you have a ton of them, that's obviously compounded, but really it's a situation of how to best service your individual consumer. So whether or not you're seeing spikes in delinquency or not, which right now they're at a very good spot, it's important to get those practices in place so that if there is ever an increase in delinquency, you're ready to best service it, but also to help those people that are currently in need right now. So just kind of to conclude on this uh, study, um, do you, the benefit basically that you said a third of customers, right, Mm -hmm. uh, are basically improving their uh, credit scores, improving their overall health, and are also current on the new loan. Is that benefit kind of worth this risk of stacking? So um, when we're talking risk reward in being in, in a lender taking on this policy, we have seen that it is profitable for lenders. So one of the things we were able to do is come up with a model that allows us to score an individual at time of delinquency and potential loan origination to be able to say, hey, is this borrower likely to benefit from us providing this additional liquidity. Being able to do that allows us to segment the population from who's really going to be um, a reward and take out a little bit of those that are a risk, which would be that potentially um, the concern of debt stacking, right? So what you can see is essentially if I give somebody a score out of one to 10, 
if I am a lender that, uh, and I have found that this uh, this consumer is scoring perhaps a nine or a ten, using some of these trended and traditional credit data, I can feel more confident to extend them a loan, knowing that it will be profitable to me, but it will also be profitable, in a sense, to the borrower as well, because they will be able to become more current on and, and kind of get through their existing challenge. One of the benefits, you know, that we have as TransUnion is we have a lot of data on consumers, right? And not just the traditional credit data, as Kristen pointed out, there's trended credit data, there's alternative credit data, and it really gives us better insight to that consumer to really understand, well, where are the opportunities? Where are those pockets where, you know, if I'm a lender and I extend this form of liquidity, that consumer will perform well on that new loan, it'll help clear up their delinquency, and, and that's really in this study what we were able to hone in on. You know, what are the profiles of those consumers? And not surprisingly, it's people that have um, longer credit histories, they have more trades in their wallet, and they have more experience with revolving debt. And so that's the type of consumer, just a high level, that we saw performed well. And so we believe that we're truly identifying these consumers that are kind of facing a short-term kind of hiccup or, you know, um, kind of... A, impact to their lives that they're able to overcome with this kind of liquidity injection. And again, in the form of a personal loan, which we feel kind of mirrors the best, if I were to just get some cash and be able to use it to help, you know, uh, alleviate some of my stress. And, and that's what we think we've identified here. Uh, while we had both of you here, I wanted to take advantage and kind of take a step back and look at the overall health of the consumer right now. Kristen, you had touched on delinquencies. You know, we look at auto as one of the largest consumer sectors, and particularly in subprime auto, we've seen a lot of recent headlines about rising delinquencies. And I wanted to get your idea of where we're really at in that space and what's going on with delinquencies in auto and subprime. So I would say if you look at the growth in subprime, what we're really seeing is a little bit of a, just the growth in general of loans being originated as subprime. What you're seeing is a little bit of a rebound from some pullback that we saw in late 2016 and throughout 2017. So it's very easy to jump to the conclusion, oh my goodness, subprime lending might be taking off. It's really, you need to think of it in the overall context of what's been going on over the last three years. And really what we're seeing in auto, I think, is a little bit of a um, finding what the right mix is, finding the steady, the steady state and watching lenders proactively look at their books, see kind of where performance is, is, is and, and rethinking their strategies in order to come up with this, this sweet spot of what's best probably for themselves, right, but also in part for what's going on with the consumers as well, making sure that they are staying current and, and able to up-to-date. So I'd say really any, any um, we're, seeing, we're seeing solid performance in auto. This recent growth in subprime, I think, is more of a response to what we saw last year as far as pullback goes. Yeah, and, you know, the auto industry has actually been some of the earlier adopters to using trended credit data and some of the alternative data available which allows you to be able to lend to those subprime areas with a little bit more confidence, being able to get that kind of additional view of the consumer. And so to Kristen's point, when you have, you know, there's been some uh, allowing in of subprime and then a pullback and a little bit more allowing in, like, and there's been a responsiveness to if there are upticks in delinquency, we see that lenders are reacting to that. And 
when you look at the overall delinquency rates, they've been relatively flat for the past like year, year and a half or so, and they haven't really gone. Um, you know, outs they're not really kind of outside what we'd expect as normal rates of delinquency. We, of course, are keeping an eye on it because many people question, you know, the auto industry has grown significantly since the end of the recession, and uh, a lot more consumers have access to autos today. Um, so we're, but we are keeping an eye on that. And also looking at the personal loan ABS space, we're starting to see some deals show an uptick in delinquencies. Has this translated yet into an uptick in losses? So I think over the last year, you've seen, you definitely see some, seen some growth in serious delinquency rates and unsecured personal loans. Again, when we look at the broader window, we're actually seeing unsecured personal loan delinquency rates um, below where they were in 2016, which is interesting, right? Um, I think what you're seeing is definitely some marked continued entry from fintechs, um, and I think uh, people may run to the fact that it's fintech entry. What you actually see is fintechs being um, somewhat judicious on who they're, they're lending to. Um, so you're seeing growth in the product across the spectrum. You're not just seeing growth in subprime. You're actually seeing record growth in above prime. So this product is really taking off from consumers around. It's, it's not necessarily a product of last resort anymore, um, which may have been considered pre-recession. It's a very popular, popular product. And so as a result that you're getting borrowers that are coming in from across the risk spectrum, you're not seeing an, an alarming uptick in delinquency and unsecured personal loans because the blend of the consumers that are getting them are both very strong performing consumers as well as some that may not have as high credit scores. Yeah, and I'm not sure on the ABS market side if um, – how those securitizations and, and sales are being done. So it's interesting that there might there has been some uptick um, maybe recently, but at least on the you know on the kind of portfolio side, we're not seeing that same trend. So you know again to to reiterate, we feel like the unsecured personal loan market's been performing well. It's been pretty healthy, and you know lenders are performing providing more and more options to consumers in, in the form of that unsecured personal loan. So we don't see anything on the horizon that would be alarming at this point. Okay. And then the other thing that's had a lot of buzz, seen some recent headlines, are the idea that some consumer credit scores may be inflated. Uh, basically, they're saying that risk associated with a 700 uh, FICO borrower are not the same today as they were a decade ago. So I just wanted to get your take on this, and do you think that there is a risk that the industry is missing real risk? It's a uh, great question, one that we fielded recently a lot, um, because there's a lot of concern or question around this. So first and foremost, I can assure you that credit scores still rank order, which is a good thing. Um, you know, and, and we have seen a migration in credit scores over the last probably six to seven years, and it's happened for a variety of reasons, right? So as access to credit has grown significantly since the recession and consumers have performed generally well on that credit, credit scores go up. We've also seen um, derogatory information that, ha you know, from the recession has now fallen off the file as we hold on to that data for seven years. Once the seven-year period comes up, th that data falls off and you get a natural slight bump in score. And then we had things like NCAP, which is the National Consumer Assistance Program, was put into place near the end of 2016, and that's where we had judgments and liens and other debts, more severe derogatories were removed from the file. So 
All that being said, there has been a migration in scores. When you do analysis, you know, so as a, as a lender or as TransUnion, when we're looking at the overall market, we do ask those questions to understand, is a specific score still holding up with regard to the risk that you would expect? And overall, we're seeing that, yes, those probabilities of defaulting or you know, delinquency rates expected are relatively stable. Now, you're always going to have, over time, a given score will deteriorate over time, it's just you know, when it's been in usage for a specific amount of time. And that's why you see scores get refreshed on a pre- pretty regular basis. Um, so overall, yes, we are seeing scores going up. Does it mean that they're overinflated or you know, potentially not necessarily reflecting the correct risk? I don't think we're at a point where we can say that in terms of the analysis that we've done thus far. We are continuing to do analysis on this front to, to really understand if there are underlying shifts. But you always have some amount of migration happening and score shifting um, just by the nature of the way a credit score is built. So. And I guess the million-dollar question that everybody keeps asking, um, industry experts are preparing for a downturn, which is anticipated by most economists to hit the U.S. within the next few years. So I was wondering how healthy, in your opinion, is the consumer currently, and especially the personal loan sector, where, as Kristen mentioned, there's a lot of fintechs haven't been through a downturn. Are there any concerns? Are they, is the consumer basically well-equipped, and are the lenders well-equipped to withstand whatever's coming? So overall, we are seeing very good performance right now. So um, I know there's a lot of talk, as you say, about when's the next recession. Obviously, I don't know when the next recession is. All I can say is that we are seeing consumers continue to spend and continue to perform well on that spend. So I'm seeing continual growth in the economy right now, and I'm not seeing as much struggling um, from consumers right now. So there's nothing that I see in the consumer wallet that would give me any less confidence uh, that we are not continuing in a positive behavior. Um, I don't know, Matt, if you have anything that you want to add on that. Yeah, I mean, generally, so when you think about consumer credit, there's a couple of things that really affect, um, you know, the consumer with regard to taking on new debt. And that are, those are things like unemployment, wages, personal income, uh, consumer sentiment, consumer confidence, right? The, the consumer sentiment and confidence really help give the consumer an ability to, to feel comfortable with spending. And often that spending will lead to taking on new debt if it's a lower rate environment. So in the near term, we're, we've been given kind of the guidance that we will remain in a lower, term, uh, lower interest rate environment. And what, one of the approaches that we're looking at and one of the things we're actually help, trying to help lenders better prepare for that next downturn, and you know, we've talked about we don't really know when it's coming. Um, we've taken an approach and actually created a macroeconomic scenario planning tool where we can actually take inputs um, such as unemployment, the federal funds rate, combine it with some of our credit data, and we can actually help lenders create a planning tool so that not so much you know, predicting when the recession will hit, but how do I plan for when the downturn starts to come? And so we're taking a little bit different look on that to say we know it's inevitable, right? What, what goes up must come down. Um, we know it will come, um, but lenders just have to think about, you know, what does this mean in my portfolio? How do I keep healthy growth? How do I still lend to consumers that want credit? Uh, and manage my risk, you know, and so we're taking that approach and trying to help lenders best prepare given that context. So what are, just a high level, what are some of the things they're doing to best prepare for that then? 
I think generally speaking, you know, um, lenders are looking at things like delinquency. They're taking studies like ours to say to see, you know, can I apply this to my portfolio and see if I have a, a current trend that might exist, or if I think this might be coming, do I have to staff up on collections? Do I have to revisit some of my collection models and strategies? Right. Um, those are some basic things that that lenders can do. But then it's also looking at my overall portfolio to say. Where is the current risk in my portfolio? If things were to change, what type of things do I need to do, right? So do I have to adjust my underwriting strategy? Do I have to shift my uh, pricing models? All of those types of things are kind of in preparation of things, you know, maybe changing for the consumer, which will then eventually impact their own portfolio. And I think that dovetails back into a little bit of why we did this study to the, to the earlier question, right, is when you are thinking about collection strategies and things like that, that's really a little bit of the impetus for the study in the sense that if you are sitting at the collection side of the house, you know, and I'll go back to my story about the $1,000 versus the $200, um, typically if I was past due and I owed you $1,000 and I had not paid my $1,000, the best I could probably get is for you to say, okay, I'm going to forgive you for a month and we'll come back and we'll talk in a month. That's probably the best I would get, right? So we're talking about if that is your standard mantra, what if you decided, hey, maybe I'll give you that $200 and perhaps I will become more current on that as well. So it is kind of a collection strategy. As you revisit collection strategies, it's an ability to be able to really get not only recoup rewards going forward on a new loan, but recruit rewards on what is already delinquent when you're trying to trying to work with them. Yeah, and I think it really, it also bolsters the perspective that lenders, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to say you should take a holistic perspective of the consumer. Because in that case, oftentimes, if, I'm, if that $1,000 that's past due is on a credit card, the personal loan side of the house might, they might not be talking, right? And so this is to say, look at your consumer in, in as a holistic perspective as you can to really try to help them through that difficult time. Well, I think this is a good spot to wrap this up. Thank you so much, Matt and Kristen, for uh, joining us today. Um, it's very helpful. Thank you. Thank you for having us.